when I talk to a CMIO or chief nursing officer, if I just said, look, I can tell you when the patient shows up at your door, if they're going to become septic or not while they're in your hospital. And I can tell you what to do about it to keep that from happening. That almost seems too good to be true. But this technology is, is real. It's working today. We're probably just scratched the surface. This is where medicine needs to go to become more efficient and effective on how we're delivering care. From SSR Studios, it's Tech Vitals, a show about emerging technologies and innovations. We will take a deeper dive at how things like AI, VR, and sensor technologies are changing how we live and work. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Hilliard. And I'm your other host, Debbie Gregory. We are searching for cutting edge people using technology to solve cutting edge problems. Each episode, we will be interviewing amazing thought leaders that are navigating the uncharted waters of emerging technology. Today, we continue with part two of our conversation with Alan Wharton. VP of Business Development at Jivion, an innovative leader in healthcare AI solutions that is transforming the clinical care environment. Jivion's cognitive machine uses artificial intelligence to help healthcare systems prevent harm and lower their costs using prescriptive analytics for preventable harm that identifies specific patients on a risk trajectory, determines if that trajectory can be changed, and if so, recommends patient-specific interventions. Previously, Allen helped describe the analytical research power of their solution and break down the three stages organizations go through to interface with data, as we discuss the healthcare opportunities leveraging big data to transform patient care through a thoughtful AI strategy. Several professional and academic studies support the trend that by 2022, the healthcare consumer market will generate more than three times the amount of unstructured health data versus what exists today. Understanding how to design and organize the built environment with essential tools such as Jivion to run regression analytics across the wave of unstructured data and then inform healthcare professionals at the right time and place will have a tremendous ROI for any organization. Alan, as organizations plan and allocate available funds to budget for new technologies and innovative solutions, could you talk a little about the cost model for Jivion services? Uh, we, we, uh, we have a SaaS model. We have a partnership. We're a strategic partner with Microsoft. So all of our business goes on Azure, the Microsoft Cloud. And so we have a pretty simple data architecture. And I think the beauty of that is hospitals and health systems can use the technology today. I mean, you don't have to try to clean up your data, get clean data, develop an enterprise data warehouse or a data strategy or data lakes that are sophisticated. And then after three or four years of working on that, then we'll get to the applications. We just, if we, we get real live feed, we don't need clean data because of the way our technology works. Um, and that clustering technology that I've described um, and they can be up and running and using it again within months as opposed to years. The other advantage of that using uh, the cloud and the SaaS type models, they, they pay for what they use. We're not charging them um, big capital budget. I know that they obviously have pressures on their capital budgets today, but um, we, we charge it by the application. So the vectors that we mentioned, we normally install the Javion machine 
with a couple of vectors and get that up and running and get them using it. And then what a lot of our clients then come back and just add additional vectors. And that's very easy to do. It's scalable. It's scalable. There's not a point solution. There are other models where other organizations come in, bring their technology, and let's develop uh, a predictive model for your sepsis problem. And they work for months and months. Um, and then once they get that up and running, they say, hey, that worked. Let's work on readmission, 90-day readmission for COPD. And they build additional models specifically for that. And that takes months and months. The Javion machine, once it's up and running, it's, it's easy to add additional vectors and use cases. So that's what our clients are doing. What, what is the structure of Javion, the founders and physicians? We have our original founders. Started our companies are still with us. Uh, um, so we've grown tremendously. We've had some capital investment at the end of 2018. So 2019 was a real growth year for us. But we, we basically have our executive management team, which are managing sales and client management. We brought in a new senior vice president this year of client management. So we're really focused and hired a lot of infrastructure this past year on making sure that the customer experience is excellent, our, our customers, and helping them understand and use that applications. We have a product development team that's head up, headed up by a physician that contains a lot of clinicians, both physician and nurse uh, executives um, uh, and managers that um, have tremendous amount of experience. Our, Chief Product Officer actually was a CMO at a large teaching healthcare facility that implemented JBON to solve some patient harm problems at his hospital and liked it so much about three, four years ago, he joined JBON full time. He had a statistician background, was very interested obviously in this field, of the combination of medicine and, and data, and he's, he's incredible. Dr. John Chilwalter does a great job for but uh, so we have clinicians as well as account management and sales is kind of the structure of our organization. You use the term digital propensity. Mm -hmm. That's a term that's mm -hmm. new to me. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, part of the attributes that you're looking for in a population, and this is kind of in healthcare today, right? A lot of people are talking about social determinants of health. It's a, it's a buzzword in 2020 for healthcare. The studies are well enough known now that we're really wrestling with how do they, so anybody can acquire, it's not, an, anybody can acquire that data and it's not that expensive um, just to get some of those public available. Many healthcare organizations are trying to collect it themselves. Hey, when a patient comes in our organization, since we're doing patient experience, let's try to ask them some additional questions um, and there's, we could talk about that. There's issues with that. It's very time consuming. Patients, the studies indicate, are not necessarily honest, right? And so well, there are a number of attributes that we're looking for. And the issue is one of those is digital propensity, is what I was thinking is. If you develop an ACO and a wellness program for a population in your population health management program, 
and you roll out some of the fanciest, right, online surveys, self-help, self-monitoring, home monitoring, and you're using all this technology and cutting-edge devices. But if your primary target audience is not computer proficient, it's not, it's not going to work, right? It's not going to be effective. Producing unappreciated data. That's exactly right. And if they don't understand it or use it, um, it it's not, it's not going to get you where you need to be in improving the population of health. So part of our model knows from some of the data that we're acquiring how proficient that individual patient is. And so instead of, um, you know, for some patients, the recommendation may be tell them to get online and complete a, um, you know, psychiatric PQ-9, what, uh, depression screening on your website. And if you tell every patient that, right, our, our technology knows which patients you can advise to do that and which ones you can't. Well, is that like from a Google Analytics where they know how much? I'm just thinking, how do you get this information? We, we get it from a lot of different sources. Right. Some of it we buy from AIM. We, we don't get to the patient, individual patient level on every data element. Where there needs patient consent, we stop, you know, maybe at the street level or the block level or the zip plus four level just depending what the criteria is but we we don't know what you're buying on amazon but we know you're buying on amazon does so that you, make sense so that makes me digitally proficient right right and we know the other things right. that you're doing right. that understand and your use of computer and technology and so it gives us a profile of this patient has a decent understanding or high level of understanding use of computers, this patient has none. So, so the issue with social deterrence of health is not that you have that data, it's how that data is informing the care model. It's so what, right? How does that tell me? So we, where we're using it, and one of the reasons our models are successful is it's it's informing, we have enough experience for 25, 30 million patient records to know which one of those is informing the deterioration of diabetes or informing the treatment of sepsis or depression or suicide. We have a suicide vector. We can identify which patients are at risk for suicide in the next six months. So as a nurse educator, I would want to know that information yeah. to know how then to have that discharge plan. Absolutely. And so that's all integrated within the platform? Where JDON is unique, going back just high yeah. level, is we're not only identifying high-risk patients or those patients that are moving toward high risk. We're telling the clinicians what to do about it, and that is huge. And this is what I meant by Lauren Fatigue. On that second step, on predictive analytics, Mathematical algorithms are great. They tell you which patients are high risk, but they're not telling the clinicians what to do about it. So we revert back, right, and, and, and apply the same protocol. The problem you get into is if the, if the machine says, nurse, when you, when you hit the floor today, 60% of your patients on this floor, the 50 patients on this floor are at risk for falls. What am I supposed to do about that? Well, you apply the same 12-step protocol for every six, there's no way. So nurses get what they say, I'm... I can't do that. 
And the nurse have so many of the studies indicate they have like, I read something like it's over 2,000 tasks for every shift that they have to do. It's overwhelming, which means just logically that a lot of that care is going to go undone, right? It's the quality trending down with the alarm fatigue. Yeah, and so they just can't get to all that. So basically, you get alarm fatigue. If the alarm goes off, and we talk to systems all the time, the alarm goes off so much, you just turn it off and forget about it. I don't, this fancy computer is telling me 6% of these patients are at risk. There's no, I can't deal with that. I only have five sitters that I can put in the room. So which, which five, you know, our technology says, look, if you can't get to all 50 patients, these are the ones that you need to get to. These are the highest risk. And for Mr. Smith and 102, you know, a sitter may work for uh, Ms. Jones and 108, the center may not work. And so it's helping them stratify to become most effective in the use of limited resources and time. This to me is a terrific example of the new digital transformation term of I 4.0 or industry 4.0. And what I mean by that is it's facilitating the most advanced technology set of autonomous computational data to calculate the patient's specific prescriptive and predictive experience using the full spectrum of the industry practices all in real time. When we incorporate all the necessary mechanics of the digital and physical built environment against evolution of industry technology, like from the first phase adoption of steam and water technologies to the second phase of electricity and assembly lines to 3.0 phase of computers and automation, and now to the smart and autonomous solutions powered by machine learning algorithms and a wide variety of data sets sourced from, well, all over the place, it enables us to reshape the built environment of healthcare in very exciting new ways. It's a new vision of almost like a tarot card reader and crystal ball kind of excitement and confidence that this AI-powered solution can forecast the real-time experience of data that is most meaningful and intentional to me, the patient, and my specific needs of care. It's like using the Waze app crowdsourcing technology on my iPhone to navigate my unique healthcare needs. That's exactly right. Now, I, it is exciting. There's, there's a piece of it that sounds too good to be true. I mean, if I, I believe this, but when I talk to, a, let's say, a chief medical informatics or a CMIO or chief nursing officer, if I just said, look, I can tell you when the patient shows up at your door, if they're going to become septic or not while they're in your hospital. And I can tell you what to do about it to keep that from happening. That almost seems too good to be true. And there is some of that in healthcare. But this technology is, is real. It's working today. We're probably just scratched the surface. So I think you're, I think you're right. I think this is where medicine needs to go to become more efficient and effective and cost-effective on how we're delivering care. I think you're right. I think we are just scratching the surface for what is possible with incorporating AI as a key driver to support operational transformation of future built environments. It, it makes me think of a parallel that most of us could relate to. It's common for people to have their local automotive mechanic that they lean on as their personal educated expert to advise them on how to get the best mileage out of their ride. 
Our design practice at SSR shares a common passion around the valued relationship of that trusted mechanic. We can relate our innovative engineering methods for building healthcare facilities that's guided by project-specific criteria to get the most out of whatever unique circumstance is required. Now, think of your personal experience with your local mechanic. You trust your mechanic knows what's best for your car and will, will offer you a range of solutions that meet your car's most urgent needs while helping you stay well within your budget. You want to know what is necessary to keep your car running. Whether it's changing the belts, rotating the tires, changing the oil, swapping out the brake pads, you name it. What preventative maintenance do you, my trusted mechanic, feel is the most immediate action I must take to keep my, my car rolling down the highway? Well, the story you just outlined for us is like the relationships we have developed with our own local mechanics. The trusted recommendations our mechanic shares with us from their assessment off the shop diagnostic machine is just a single data feed from the car's onboard control computer relaying the recorded wear and tear on the vehicle. It certainly informs our conversation with what might be the next part to fail or wear down on the car. However, that assessment is isolated from other daily environmental factors that influence the overall performance of the car. If you know things like the driver lifestyle behaviors, how fast you drive, where you drive, where you park, when you drive, with whom you drive, whether you eat or drink while operating the car, the frequency and type of fuel you use, or what technology you choose to use while operating your car. If we were able to round up all of these other lifestyle behavioral data feeds, analyze and run simulations against it, you know, most likely it would generate a much different prescription for the recommendations on the car maintenance repair work or longevity for the car. You know, if, if we compare this example to Javion's expertise in using AI in healthcare, the car in the shop is now the patient examination, both in or outside the healthcare facility, given the advances in telehealth. Building an organization's physical and digital environment with AI as an essential clinical tool set enables the patient's unique environmental factors, personal behaviors, and individual lifestyle choices to to now be calculated into the most intelligent and prescriptive treatment recommendations. I, I'm, I'm laughing as I'm processing all this. My Apple Watch is buzzing me to tell me it's time to stand up. Another uh, example of machine learning based on my, my movement patterns for this particular time of day. I don't know if it's the next stage, but I think Zach's kind of alluded to it. I mean, I think, it, you know, again, this term is overused and everybody has their own definition of, of precision medicine. So kind of the Internet of Things, the consumerism, people taking responsibility for their own health. And until we get there, right, we're really not going to improve the population. So a lot of that's education. But and then. Again, we're, our databases are connecting into those to Apple Watches and things that can further inform the care, but um, take data and information. But I think it's, it's that. It's going to help our system move from that fee-for-service or, uh, to value-based care or population health management where we really shift. I mean, our, again, our, we still have a fee, by and large, a fee-for-service system. 
it's got to be cost effective for these healthcare organizations, and we're still going to have hospitals. We're always going to have acute care hospitals that are taken care of right, and then inpatient environment, the, the, the most critically ill. But but using technology and self and consumer health to take care of our own health in a more efficient, effective way, so that the, the healthcare can be provided in a lot of different varieties at home. You know, we're seeing a lot of that where so much of it has gone to outpatient care, but even beyond outpatient care, more to patients' local home environment where it's possible to capture more accurate consumer data that reflects the behaviors of the patient in their daily home-based routines and environment. I talked to CEO that CEO of a emergency medicine company. They're building emergency rooms detached from the hospital, right? in the community, so they're, they're a hybrid between a 24-7 care, urgent care center, and a hospital. Because patients, and he made the comment, patients don't, right, they don't know if they have just a little urgent care, uh, primary care problem, or if they're having a heart attack or have a, a, a major problem. And so they can treat these patients in, I think he said, like 20% of the cost that they would in overhead in, in a hospital facility and, and get the same level of care. So I think you're right. I think, I think all this technology, as it comes together and catches up with the reimbursement system, um, I think we'll get smarter and better at taking care of ourselves and keeping people healthy as opposed to just treating sick over time. We wanted to take just a slight pivot and think about our client and partner facility planning perspectives, whether they are large academic medical center expansions, outpatient care centers, research programs, community hospitals, or even existing facility renovations. Can you share with us any technology design performance criteria that should be considered within the development of their unique program to support a successful Jiveon implementation within their digital and physical built environment? You know, any requirements or needs to facilitate the turn-by-turn and timely delivery of information that helps to accentuate the empathy principle of human-to-human care? Probably for us, I mean, I mean, obviously, moving from an on-prem solution to the cloud-based solution, there's still a lot of hospital organizations that are concerned about that, but we believe it gives more flexibility, even more security for us in a secure data environment, uh, easily deployed. So for us, we're getting just the real-time feeds on that information, using the cloud, getting real-time data feeds is what we need to be effective. I think on the back end, integrating with the EHR. So whatever workflow um, for the use of their EHR and hospital information systems that they're using today, to, to and y'all would know that because you're probably doing that on a week-to-week basis, um, help us to integrate into that workflow. Anything that can help us integrate into that workflow to make it more seamless for the clinicians is, is going to benefit JDI. And that could include bedside terminals. It could include mobile devices. So the use of those, um, the use of those uh, in the environment and in, in secure Wi-Fi and how they're gearing up the facilities would be helpful. 
Well, our final question. Beyond all the excitement and passions that you've shared with us around the amazing work Jivion is doing with AI and healthcare, can you share with us what is Alan's form of downtime fun? Is there an activity, a hobby, a sport, uh, or type of cuisine that you love the most? Well, I grew up in the South, as you can tell by my accent, right? So all my friends call me when they're looking for a good place to eat, particularly barbecue. So I've eaten at barbecue all, I've become an expert at barbecue all over. I feel like you're a gentleman at all What's a good barbecue? Yeah, out of all the things. So uh, I work all the time. I like to play golf. I like shotgun sports, actually. I've done a lot of bird hunting over the years. So those, those are things I like to do in my spare time. Debbie knows teach, uh, I like to teach the Bible. So do uh, a lot of activity with uh, my church and other groups like that. That's what I do in my spare time. Thank you so much. This was yeah. very educational and, uh, and we look forward to more conversations with you. Well, thank you. Thanks for your time. As we build 2020 and the digital transformation of Industry 4.0, get connected with our innovative team. If this conversation has left you inspired, curious, or just wanting to hear more about emerging technology, there are a couple ways you can join us. We welcome you to subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. For more resources about today's content, please check out the episode show notes or drop us an email, techvitals at ssr-inc.com. Culture matters. Our mission is to make a positive difference for our clients, colleagues, and communities. See our mission in action on your favorite social platform. On Instagram, at SmithSeckmanReed. On Twitter, at SSR underscore INC. On LinkedIn, at SSR. And on Facebook, at SmithSeckmanReed. This podcast would not be possible without our incredibly talented team of experts. Special thanks to our dynamic EP, Blake Moeller, our senior communications associate, Lauren Dean, and the exceptional support staff at SSR HQ, located in Nashville, Tennessee.